0: I sing praises to you Praise God and welcome to Genesis 1 Christian Ministries. So glad to have you here today and that you can join us as we partake in God's word. Before we get into scripture, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, most awesome and wonderful Lord, I just want to thank you for this ability to be able to gather together to hear your words today. Lord God, let these words that come forth get planted deeply within our spirits so that they may come bubbling up anytime the enemy rears his ugly head. Lord God, bless every single listener here today and touch them, Lord God, in your own special way. These things I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, praise God. And once again, welcome to Genesis 1 Christian Ministries. Before we get into scripture, if you don't have your Bibles with you, go ahead and pause this message and grab your Bible and a pen and maybe a pad. Uh, or highlighter to be able to take some notes or highlight some things in your scripture as holy spirit so guide you and then come on back so that you can then follow along with us as we go through the word today because it's important for you to be able to see what's in scripture and not just take uh, any one person's word word for it praise god all right so diving right into scripture we're going to start in the book of second timothy we're going to go to second timothy chapter one 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, to genuine faith, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings, for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with his holy, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Verse number nine again, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. What I want to talk today about is I want to talk to you from the subject of passion killers, all right? Passion killers. We all have passion killers that pop up in our lives. Passion killers are the things that keep us from fully following God, Okay, These are the distractions that, that come up in our lives that, 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 that pull us away from focusing on the things that God, God wants us to do. These are the things that pop up, pop up in our lives that keep us from focusing on the things that matter the most, uh, in, in our lives, whether hopefully God is is, is number one uh, in your life, and, and, and if not, I pray that by the end of this message that you have a renewed passion for God and that you put God back to being in the, in the center of your life. But even people in the world that don't uh, know God and don't have a relationship with him, even they have passion killers. Even they have things that will pull them away from what matters, from what matters the most. These are the things that quench the fire and desire that we have For doing the things God has called us to do. Okay. Passion killers quench the fire and the desire that we have for doing all the things that God has called us to do. It's, it's the things that come in there and they pull away from, from our relationship with God. They, they, they constantly are tugging on us, uh, trying to get our time instead of, and pull our time away from spending with God or from studying, from studying scripture. We see in these scriptures here, that Paul actually mentions quite a few passion killers. One of the passion killers that, that, that Paul talks about is right there in verse number five, and that is a lack of genuine faith. Okay, now Paul here says he recalls remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, talking Timothy. Well, having a lack of genuine faith is a passion killer. Living in life as a child of God does not mean does not mean that it comes, that it doesn't come without some trying times and some troubling times, right? Being a child of God has setbacks. There's grief that we experience, there's pain that we experience, there's suffering that we that, that we experience, but there's also a lot of joy that we experience and there's peace. But those things that 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 bring us the most anger or, or, or the most heartache or the most pain, those are things that can easily quench our passion for God if we're not careful. These are the things that remove that genuine faith, that remove that genuine faith that tells us that even though we might not be able to see what the end is going to be like, even though we don't know what the answer is going to be to the current problem that we're facing, that God is still in charge and that everything will work out for our good. Everything will work out for our benefit. So having that lack of faith as, as a that lack of genuine faith as a uh, um, as a passion killer will keep us from focusing on God when times are, are aren't going well, in times of struggle, and in times of grief and times of pain. That lack of genuine faith will keep us from focusing on God, and instead we start focusing on uh, focusing on the problem. We start focusing on the setbacks. Jesus didn't have an easy life. Jesus didn't have an easy life. He faced passion killers. These passion killers were in the form of being ridiculed, being mocked. He had he dealt with grief, okay? If you remember scripture talks about how he 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 grieved and cried over the fact that Lazarus was dead. Okay? Lazarus was a good friend to him, a good friend of his, and he cried before he went over and then and then healed Lazarus. But he was ridiculed and he faced grief. He faced doubt but overcame all of these passion killers because he never doubted who he was. He never doubted who he was. He dealt with Satan in the in the desert for three uh, for three temptations in the height of 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 his um, of his fast when he was at his weakest point physically and 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 we know that you know physical weakness can can cause all sorts of other things and can play all sorts of havoc play all sorts sorts of tricks on on your mind. Jesus in the desert there he had to deal with Satan trying to get him to doubt who he was. Right, if you remember the first two temptations that Satan gave to Jesus, that he started off, started both of them off, off by saying, if you be the son of God, if you be the son of God, okay, and Jesus hit him back with scripture, both of those times, and then the last time, Satan realized that he couldn't get Jesus to doubt anymore if he was the son of God, so this time, he just told him, here's what I'm going to give you, I will give you all of this if you just bow down to me, and Jesus hit him with one more scripture one last time, and then it said that, that, Satan, that Satan fled, so even Jesus had to deal with passion killers during his life. Genuine faith, however, reminds us of the blessings that await us if we are willing to persevere. This faith is needed in order to be successful. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Genuine faith reminds us of the blessings that await us if we are willing to persevere. This faith is needed in order to be successful. So if you don't want to have your fire and desire for God to to, to be quenched or to be removed out of your life, then you have to have genuine faith. That genuine faith is there to serve as a reminder that God is still with you. Verse number six, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Not using the gifts that God has given us will kill our passion very quickly. Not using the gifts that God has given us will kill our passion very easily, okay? If you're into sports and you watch athletes Many times and, and especially from folks that don't play sports but maybe watch it on TV, many times they will say, "Wow, that guy's just has has some good god given talent that athlete has god given talent and are able to do all of these amazing things that I, I I can't dream of doing okay now, yes, that individual might have some god given talents and he's putting those talents to use on 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 in that sporting uh, in that sporting venue there, whether it's football or basketball or, or some other sport." But understand that that person did not get to that level of success by relying simply on their skills alone. They had to continue to to, to work on their skills. If they ran fast, they worked on running faster. If they were strong, they worked on getting stronger. They could jump high. They worked on jumping even higher. All right, That's part of what we have to do as children of God is first understand what is the gift that God has put in me. Every single one of us has a specific gift and a specific ability that God has placed inside of us. Part of our roles as children of God is to find out what that gift is so that we can use it in its full capacity in order to to glorify God. Okay, That natural talent that we have, like I said, that's a gift of God, and we all have natural talents. Oftentimes, we don't look at what our natural talents are, and we try to force ourselves to do something that we're not good at. We try to force ourselves to do something that we're not good at. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend some time learning. I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend time working on whatever weaknesses you feel like you have. But the problem is is that if we don't understand what our gift is, we will bounce around working on a whole bunch of weaknesses that we have, and we'll never actually know what our strengths are. We'll never know what our strengths are because we will never know what that gift is that God put it that God put inside of us, okay? Athletes, they have tons of coaches around them surrounding them, trying to push them to be the best that they can possibly be. We must also surround ourselves with people who are going to push us to be the best Christian that we can be. The people that can see what our talents are and start guiding us and and, and helping us to use those talents to glorify God. If you know how to play the piano, easy way to be able to glorify God is started to getting to, to 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 developing some sort of praise music or 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 if you're in in church talking to, to 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 the pastor about how can how can I um in this environment use my ability to play the piano to help glorify God maybe that means leading worship serv worship services okay maybe it means uh uh playing the piano at, in 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 a situation where maybe you and the family have gone through some some tough times and maybe there's a loss of a loved one and it's being able to use your musical talents to try to bring some joy and comfort in the situation by, by singing some nice worship songs and some nice praise music to be able to lift everybody's spirits. Okay. These are the, some, just some ways that we can use natural gifts to be able to glorify God, but we need to make sure that we have the people that are around us that are going to push us to be the best we can possibly be, right? Not surrounding ourselves with people that are just going to say, Oh yeah, you know, when Susie said that to you, I don't blame you for yelling at her and picking up at the phone, picking up the phone, yelling at her or, or going to her house and getting all up in her face and yelling at her. I don't blame you. For do- I would do the same thing. How is that glorifying God? How is that person helping you become a better Christian by telling you that you should do something that you know God wouldn't approve of? Okay? We have to surround ourselves with people that are going to help us be the best Christians we can possibly be. We see another passion killer. In verse number seven, verse seven says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is a passion killer. Fear is a passion killer because fear will keep you from pursuing that thing that you enjoy doing. Fear will keep you from following God because you can't see the outcome because you don't know what that next step is going to be. Fear is a huge passion killer. Most people in their lives never actually accomplish some of the goals that they set out to accomplish because they are afraid to take that next step. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of what people think of them. We see this even in in, in church environments, okay? I'm not going to sing loudly during praise and worship because I'm fearful about how everybody thinks I'm going to sound. But we forget scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I forget that scripture. My fear sets in. And then I stop raising my hands. I stop praying because I'm so worried. I'm so worried about what everybody else is going to think of me and what everybody else is going to say about me. Instead of thinking, what does God think of me? OK, that nobody else's opinion about how I sound during praise and worship is going to matter. The only opinion that matters is God and God is not judging me on my musical talents when I'm praying. Paul is telling Timothy that God did not create us to be fearful beings. Fear is developed from from experiences due to failure and pain. It's developed through experience from failure and pain. The only way you know not to touch a stove when it's hot, okay, is because you understand that something hot can burn you and do some damage to you. That doesn't mean that, you know, necessarily it, it, you, you touch something hot that it burns your skin off, but, you know, it's an unpleasant feeling. So therefore, you don't do it again. When you get a car, when you drive a car, if you're one of those folks that that, that, that just t- that, that is young when you were young and you got your license and you just go flying down the highway at 100 miles an hour. It's not until you get older and you understand the dangers of going that fast that starts changing the way you operate that vehicle. You're no longer flying down the highway at 100 miles an hour. Maybe you're going 85 miles an hour. All right. All jokes aside, though, we we learn fear through pain and experience. Okay, pain and experience is what teaches is what is how we learn about fear. God gave us, however, the power to cast out the spirit of fear. God gave us the power to pass out to, to cast out a spirit of fear because after all. We we are made in the image of God, all right? Back in, in Genesis, God said, let us go make man in our own image, okay? in God's image is spirit, all right? God's spirit does not have fear. If we are made in God's image and God is a spirit and God doesn't have fear, then that means we shouldn't have fear either. We only learn fear through what happens around us. We only learn fear through our experiences. We only learn fear as the devil starts to whisper things in your ear that tell you, you won't make it. You won't be successful at that. That's how we learn fear. But we have the power to cast out that fear. Our love for God and his love for us should be served as a reminder that he will never put us in a situation that would make us af- that should make us afraid. He will never put us in a situation that should make us afraid. When he tells us to step out into the unknown, he's not telling you to be afraid. Him telling you to step out in the unknown is saying, trust me, I've got you trust me, I've got you. Fear sets in when we say, well, Lord, I can't see you in this situation, even though he's really there. Remembering his love for us and focusing on that also gives us the ability to quiet our noisy minds. And that's what scripture is talking about. A sound mind is that we have a quiet mind. We can cast out and rebuke those thoughts that come in that tell you, you're never going to make it. You are going to fail. You won't get that job. Even though it seems like it's meant for you, you won't get that job. You won't get that house. You won't get that car. You won't be able to afford gas. You won't be able to afford groceries. You won't be able to pay your bills. All of those things that, 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 that get planted into our, our minds, we have the ability to acquire all of that in the name of Jesus and rebuke those thoughts and replace those thoughts with the things of God. Focusing on God's love for us, for God's strength, for God's knowledge, for God's wisdom, for God's ultimate power, knowing that as his children, he is going to take care of us. We can't stop thoughts from getting into our heads. The only thing we can control and the only thing we can stop is how long they actually stay there. So that's why we need to shift our focus away from those noisy thoughts and those negative thoughts that would cause fear and get ourselves focused back on God. Continuing on here, we're going to go into verse number nine. Uh, Let's go verse eight and read through verse nine in in continuity. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor for me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. If you don't have that underlined, underline all of that not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So we see here that an unclear purpose is also a passion killer. An unclear purpose is a passion killer. An unclear purpose causes you to live your life by default and not live it by design. If you don't have any purpose in your life and you don't know what that purpose is, You live your life waking up every single day, waiting to see what happens versus making things happen, if you will. Okay. You wait and you say, we'll see what tomorrow brings. Let's see what happens today. There's no plan for, 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 for the day. You're just saying, whatever's going to happen today is going to happen and I'll deal with it. You know, when, and if it comes, when you wake up by design, when you wake up by design, knowing that there is a clear purpose in your life and God has a reason for your existence, you wake up with a narrow focus, with a, a, a laser focus to say, okay. This is what I'm going to do today because this is directly related to what it is I'm passionate about. This is directly related to my purpose in life. I'm going to get up and the first thing I'm going to do in the morning is I'm going to pray. Why am I going to pray? Because my passion is to follow God in all things that I do. And the only way that I can do that in the morning or the only way I can do it every single day is by waking up in the morning and seeking his face first before I start doing anything else. asking God to order my steps throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the years, as I'm trying to accomplish the things that that God is setting me out to do. That's having a life in which you are living by design, not living by uh, not living by default. All right. When God's purpose for us is clear, we should be waking up every day focused on doing what he wants to do, not allowing anyone or anything to stop us. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that means that one of our purposes in life is to glorify God in all that we do. The key for us is to seek God out and ask him specifically, Lord, what is it that you specifically need me to do in my life to glorify you? How do I use the, the passions and the skills and the abilities that I have to glorify you? That's the key for us as as children of God is to find out what that is. If we couple this understanding that our purpose in life is to do what God calls us to do and glorify him in all things. If we couple this with early scriptures and look about stirring up the gift that's within us, then we see we need to spend some time in prayer finding out how God wants us to use his gifts as I just as I just talked about how God wants us to use our gifts. So clear purpose or the lack of a clear purpose is a, is a passion killer. Society tells us that success is defined by how many cars you have, how much money, uh, how much money you own, how much each car costs, how many houses you own. And oftentimes we chase these things, we chase these things, but what that means is that we may or may not actually ever catch them. We chase after the worldly desires which means we may or may not ever che- we may not we may or may not ever catch them. However, if we want to catch dreams and if we want to accomplish goals, we first have to change our character. And our character has to match the character that God has for us, and then the things that we want and the things that we desire get this, get get uh get given to us. They're given to us. They get placed on us. Why? Because we're aligning our character with God's character. And then God is saying, you know, that thing that you're asking for, you might really want that, but I've got something better in store for you. And when the time is right, I'm going to give it to you. So these things then get bestowed upon us because we've changed our character to match the character that, that God has for us. Your character determines what and who you actually attract. Your character determines what and who it is that you actually attract. So if you're going to design align your character with God's character, then you're going to start attracting people that 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 are seeking God. Okay, you're going to attract all sorts of people that that are going to help you grow in your life spiritually. You're going to attract all sorts of people that, that are also struggling that you can then minister to and that you can share the Word of God with, so that they can then get, they can get delivered from whatever their issue from, from whatever their issues are. All right? But it all depends on what our character is like. We don't need to be chasing, and nor should we be chasing, after the things that the world chases after. When we do this, we end up with a schedule that has very little room for God, if any. Okay, If we start chasing after worldly desires and trying to accomplish worldly goals, we end up developing a schedule that has no room, if any room, for God himself Which is another passion killer, an unbalanced schedule. So, looking at that, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse number 15. John chapter 5, verse 15. We're going to look at an unbalanced schedule as being a passion killer. All right, John chapter 5 number 15 verse 15 actually let's go to verse 16 for this reason the jews persecuted jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the sabbath so just pausing there for a second and backing up um the jews were mad because jesus just healed a man on the sabbath day he told him take up your bed and walk and now the jews here are getting mad and they say well wait a second the sabbath day is supposed to be a day of rest and you did this so now they're now they're angry with him all right So verse 16, again, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews uh, sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So what's happening here is that the Jews didn't really understand um, what honoring the sabbath truly was truly meant okay so while the Israelites were instructed you know to abstain from doing doing work, it didn't mean that they were not to um do godly business if you will on the sabbath, and so when Jesus came around and he Heals this man that, that that couldn't walk on the Sabbath, it got the Jews all up in arms because they took it from the perspective of don't do anything on the Sabbath, okay? And and in other scriptures there, one of the things Jesus even said too was that is God not God even on the Sabbath, okay? So in other words, God is God at all at all times. So there is no time in which we should not be doing the things that God calls us to do. Okay? Imagine if God decided to take off one day a week, how much trouble we would be in. Think about that for a second, all right? And that's the piece that the Jews are are, are missing here. Verse, let's do verse 18 again. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for, uh, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does. The son also does in like manner. Underline that in verse 19. Surely, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does. The son also does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So a lot of things that are going on uh, that are going on here. Okay, and we think about having an unbalanced schedule as a passion killer. All right. In verses nineteen through twenty, we see here that even Jesus said that he looks to do. He looks to the Father, and he only does what the Father shows him. Right? Even Jesus himself looked to God and only did what God did. Jesus was on this earth to show us what to do. When we study Scripture and we seek God, it gives Him an opportunity to continue to show us what it is that we need to do. Okay. See, and that's the thing that a lot of times people miss is they read scripture and they don't realize that Jesus lived a life that was a model for us. Jesus didn't simply just say, "Here's what you need to do." He lived that life. The disciples got to see that. All sorts of people that interacted with Jesus got to got to see that. So that and the reason why and the reason why God did it that way is because he knows that we as human beings we look for action. We put more stock in action than we do words. Okay? What is the saying, how does the saying go? Um, um action speak louder than words. All right? Action speak louder than words. So therefore Jesus couldn't just say it because God knew that we 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 human beings wouldn't necessarily always believe it even though he's Jesus the son of God, he needed to show it us show us as well so we can see what it looks like in action. All right? So again, Jesus himself looked to God to, to, to do things and we should also be doing the same exact thing if not we end up uh, we end up being disobedient and we end up not having a schedule that, that, that creates time for God why well because Jesus's focus on God allowed him to have to put time in his schedule to attend to the needs of the people that he actually interacted with okay Jesus' focus on God allowed him to to make sure that there was time to heal the people that were sick to feed the people that weren't fed, to talk about God's kingdom coming, to talk about repentance of sin, to talk about why the Son of Man why the Son of Man came, to show people how to lay hands on 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 people to to show them how to cast out demons. Okay, Jesus focused on God, allowed him to make sure he attended to the needs of the people that were that were around him. His calendar wasn't cluttered with a bunch of useless tasks or worldly goals. His calendar was only reserved for the things of God the Father. Having an unbalanced schedule does not give you time to focus on the things that matter the most and therefore kills your passion, okay? If you're not focusing on God, if you don't have a passion to do what he's calling you to do, then your calendar and your schedule in life is going to fill up with a whole bunch of needless things that don't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, it doesn't do anything to take the things that God is trying to show you and trying to tell you and share those with others. It doesn't do anything to, to, to uh, strengthen your walk with him, to develop a closer relationship with him. Instead, everything else just starts to take over. Everything else just starts to take over. You think about it in the workplace. How many of us in the workplace go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, to meeting and don't actually have time to sit down and do anything? Okay. Or how many people have you interacted with in the workplace that you keep talking to them and they say, oh, I got to go to this meeting. I don't have time to think. I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to go to the bathroom. All right. I got a schedule on my calendar time to actually go ahead and use the restroom because I'm in meetings, meetings, meetings. There's no time to actually do everything. And then when there's a ha- when's that, what ends up happening is these people then have to ha- end up having to work to all hours of the night. They end up having to work on the, on the weekends because their schedule is just filled up with so much stuff. Well, that same thing could happen to our lives if we don't actually make time for the things of God. And if we don't put that first and foremost in our lives, our calendars become unbalanced. We only spend maybe five minutes with God and God might be saying, I need 20 minutes with you. I need 20 minutes with you because the things that are coming up in your life, five minutes isn't going to be enough. OK, so we need to make sure that we balance that we balance our schedule so an unbalanced schedule is a passion killer the last path we're going to look at two two more passion killers here as we as we start to wind down turn in your bibles to 1 kings 19 1 kings 19 and we're going to start in verse number one so that's 1 kings 19 verse number one okay and before, before there's just some background scriptures here. OK, um, in, in chapter 18, uh, this is where we see Elijah sl- slay the bof- uh, prophets of Baal. All right. Um, and so they uh, uh, Elijah told the Israelites to choose either follow, follow Baal or follow God. And then he set up these. He, he had them set up uh, like uh, uh, these sacrifices. And what he said was, if, if Baal is the true God, you pray to him. And I'm going to pray to my God, and whoever responds by dropping fire on the sacrifice, that is the, that is the true God. And so as the prophets of Baal were, were singing and yelling and things like that, Baal obviously didn't respond because he's not a, he's not a real God. That was a false God. And Elisha at one point even kind of mocked him and said, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's too busy. Uh, scream louder, cry louder, and he did that, and then, you know, Baal never responded. But Elijah prayed once, and God sent the fire down, and it, and it consumed both sacrifices. And then he ended up slaying them. It was some, uh, 450 of them that he slayed. So, I wanna put that into context, because there's a lot there that we can learn about passion killers as it relates to these scriptures here. So, he just slayed the prophets of Baal. Verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Okay, so here we see a couple of things there. First of all, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to tell Elijah that he was going to kill him, okay? And then Elijah ran. Now, there was no reason why Jezebel couldn't have just gone to Elijah and had him killed in the moment. He sent him, She sent a messenger to him, which means Elijah then had time to prepare. And in this case here, instead of preparing to fight, he decided to flee, all right? So you can see how fear, like we talked about earlier, right? Fear can make us do some things sometimes that don't even make any sense, all right? Um, so he didn't think this through, but he de- he decided to run for his life and he forgot about the fact of what God just delivered for him in the previous in the previous scriptures. All right. So he ran for his life and left his servant. Verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. for I am no better than my father's. R- ridiculous. Then, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, "Arise and eat." Then he looked, he looked and there was uh, there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, "Arise and eat, because your journey is too great. Because the journey is too great for you." So he arose and ate and drank and went in the in the strength of that of that food. 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. OK, so a few different things here in terms of passion killers that we see. OK, first and foremost, all right? underestimating the cost of a great victory is a passion killer. OK, underestimating the cost of a great victory is indeed a passion killer. Elijah just had a great victory in the previous it was, um, It was 1 Kings 18 and it starts in verse 20, I believe it is. Uh, and in that previous chapter, he just had a great victory by slaying 450 prophets. And then immediately after that, what happened? Jezebel sent the messenger saying that I was going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And if I don't, let there, let me also be dead if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. Okay, that is that. That's a passion killer when we underestimate how much sacrifice we've had to make, or or what happens after we obtain a great victory. All right. After all of that happened. All right. And Elijah tried to try to run. He forgot that God delivered him a victory previously. So he let fear settle, settle in which then caused him, which then caused him to run. We need to make sure, though, that we never spend so much time celebrating a victory that we forget that the devil is hiding right around the corner with an ambush. Okay, Elijah slayed the prophets. The devil was waiting in the form of Jezebel. to bring bring a challenge his way with a sneak attack, okay? We need to take time to celebrate the victory, but understand that on the heels of every great victory, there's the potential for a very great defeat. Every single time God blesses you with something, the devil is waiting by to try to curse you with something, to try to attack your blessing, to try to remove that blessing from your life. He brings some sort of distraction that would kill your passion to follow God. We have to make sure that we don't, don't ever, 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 ever forget that, okay? Once a victory is accomplished, we must set up a defense against the enemy. We must build a strategy to hold on to what we have while the devil tries to take it from us, okay? Without understanding that victory, that after victory, the devil's going to come after us, that could end up killing our passion because when he comes after us and we're not prepared, guess what? We start saying, oh, God, why did you do this? Why did you deliver me from this? I was better off when I was back in Egypt, just like the Israelites said. I wish I was in Egypt. We start wishing to go back to the way things were just simply because we're facing a challenge after God has actually blessed us. OK, we also see another passion killer here in the form of an unnourished spirit. When facing possible death, Elijah chose to run instead of trusting in God's protection. He chose to run instead of trusting in God's protection. He wished death upon himself because he didn't have the strength to fight back. Not because he was weak, but because he was scared. Because he was scared. That fear set in and it weakened his resolve. He did not have the the ability to fight back because he was afraid. So he chose instead to run. The question we must ask ourselves is what will we do when faced with a potential defeat? What will we do when faced with a potential defeat? Elijah's actions show us that if we leave ourselves unnourished, we make irrational decisions. We make irrational decisions. Elijah left himself unnourished. He left the place of comfort where people were supporting him and they were helping him. And he ran off and went under this tree and wished death upon himself because he was unnourished. Physically, we must feed our bodies, but we must also feed our spiritual bodies. If either is left unfed, both will suffer. If you don't feed your spiritual body, not only will your spiritual body suffer, but your physical body will suffer too. Okay. All sorts of ailments will start to start popping up out of the blue. Healing will stop. Okay. All sorts of things start to happen. You don't get a good night's sleep. If you don't if you don't nourish your physical body, your physical body and your spiritual body will suffer. Because you won't have the strength to go seek God. You'll be too tired to pick up your Bible. Cause you know, if you don't, if you don't eat the right foods, you'll be tired. And when you become tired, you won't pick up scripture and read it. You won't be able to focus on the words that are being talked about. You won't be able to sit through a, a church service and actually pay attention to what the preacher is talking about. It won't get sunk, sunk in. So if you don't nourish one, both will actually suffer. Fear left unchecked will keep you from eating. It'll keep you from praying. It'll keep you from reading your Bible and it will keep you from the relate away from the relationships that God established around you to help sp- feed you spiritually. Elijah left the people that were around him because of fear. He left the people that are around him because a messenger said to him, Jezebel's going to kill you tomorrow this time because of what you did to those prophets. He left those people. When we get into situations of challenging times, we cannot leave the people that God put in our lives to actually nourish us spiritually. We need to make sure that we're listening to what's going on, that we're not secluding ourselves from them, that we're not uh, um, um, re- retracting ourselves to be to to, to a place of, of of loneliness because we're going through some trialing times. All right. We need to make sure that we stick by the people and a lot of the people that God put in our in our way. Or in our path to be able to stick by us when we're going through a challenging situation. Now God knew what was going to happen when someone is unnourished, so He sent an angel to tell Elijah to eat, so he can be physically strong again. God knew that was going to happen, so He sent an angel to eat the food and tell him, "You must eat because the journey you have for you is 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 far great." Okay, that made him strong again. And then if you continued on in those scriptures, and we won't go there, but if you continue on in those scriptures, you see there where Elijah went to a cave and God spoke to him and God told him that he reserved thousands of of, of Israelites and he was going to go to them. All right. God let him know that I've got a plan and you are not alone. Okay. Remember Elijah went to that cave and said, I'm alone. And God basically in essence said, no, you're not. I've reserved some Israelites over here for you. Go to them. All right. So God knew that. God knew that physically he needed to be nourished. And then once he was nourished physically, God then nourished him spiritually by telling him and showing him what the plan is. So an unnourished uh, spirit can lead to uh, is, is a passion killer. It distracts us from being able to make rational decisions and to keep our focus on God, just like any other passion killer that we've talked about. Don't let your passion for God be destroyed. Seek Holy Spirit to identify what those passion killers might be and ask God every day to remove these passion killers from your life. Wake up each and every day prepared to fight against any passion killers that may come your way. Wake up every single day ready to fight any passion killers that might come your way because they come in all all shapes and sizes, all forms and all sorts of ways. So we've got to be we got to be ready every single day to battle against those passion killers so that our fire and desire for God doesn't actually get quenched. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I hope this message was a blessing to you. And as we close, let's pray. Dear Lord God, Jehovah, I just want to thank you for these words today, Lord, that we've all heard from you. And I just want to pray for everyone that has heard this message, Lord God, that you would reveal to us what it is that will be killing our passion for following you, Lord God. I pray that you would then strengthen us to be able to get those passion killers removed out of our lives, Lord God, so that we can have a deep, close walk with you, Lord God, and that we can fulfill your purpose for our lives. I pray that, pray that everyone is blessed with, by this message, Lord God, and that you would encourage us to be able to share this message with others that you may send in our way. We praise, we love you, and we glorify you for all things that you have done. These things I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Well, praise God. I hope this message was a blessing to you. And if it was, feel free to pass this on to friends, family, and loved ones, and uh, anyone that might be giving you uh, a hard time. You can find us at Genesis 1. That's one word, genesis1.sermon.net. And if you click on the subscribe button, you'll be, uh, you'll receive notifications every single time uh, that content is posted. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search Genesis 1 Christian Ministries, and Genesis 1 is two words. Um, And you can also access these sermons on there. And then on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store, we also have a free app, a Genesis 1 app. And all the content that we have can be downloaded for free. Uh, We just want to make the word available to everyone because you know what Scripture says and that it's not God's will for any to perish. So you have multiple ways to access it, and feel free to share it with those that Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Well, praise God! I hope that you go in His blessings. I hope that you go in His peace. I hope that you go in uh, a renewed fire and desire to follow God and have His purpose play out in your life. And that you remember that you can do all things through Christ Jesus, who strengthens you. Go, go in His blessings. And I sing praises to you. Oh, Lord, praises to